0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the CEO Journals podcast. For those of you that are new here, thank you for joining. I am your host, Ethan Bridge. Before I dive into the intro, I'd greatly appreciate if you pulled out your phone, opened up the podcast app, and left a five-star rating and review. It literally takes a matter of seconds, and you don't even have to stop listening. On today's episode, I had the pleasure in speaking to Chris Widener, who's an incredible author and motivational speaker. I'm going to start by listing this man's accolades because they're definitely something to boast about. He's a member of the Motivational Speakers Hall of Fame. He's one of Inc Magazine's top 100 leadership speakers and he was named one of the top 50 speakers in the world. Having completed over 2,500 speaking gigs, I think it's safe to say Chris is worthy of those titles. This is episode 22 of CEO Journals, and I'm yet to delve into mentorship, and I don't know how. However, I'm glad I've left it until now as there is no better person to talk on this topic than Chris. He was mentored by the two speaking legends, Zig Ziglar and Jim Rohn. If you don't know who either of these are, simply Google motivational business quotes and all you'll see is quotes from these two legends. Chris has actually had the pleasure in co-authoring the 2005 book 12 Pillars with Jim Rohn himself. Chris and I actually discuss the importance of mentorship and how he's found his own mentors and become the mentor to many others over his career. And we also delve deep into authenticity and integrity. And we find that in this industry, these are two things you definitely have to be wary of. I can assure you Chris is one of the most experienced and motivational people I've spoken to on the show so far. So I urge you to listen to everything this man has to say. So without any further ado, let's dive straight into the episode. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the CEO Journals podcast. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of talking to Chris Widener. Chris, how are you doing today? Fantastic, Ethan. Thanks for having me. The pleasure is all mine. But so for the listeners that don't know who you are, you just want to give us a quick 60-second introduction of who you are and what you do, please?
1: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose if you had to boil it down, I'm a keynote speaker and an author. I'm writing my 21st book right now called Lasting Impact, How to Create a Life and Business that Live Beyond You. Uh, I've given 2,500 speeches all over the world to crowds as large as 25,000 people. And um, so that's what I do. I write and I speak all around the areas of success, motivation, leadership, mentoring, uh, all that kind of stuff.
0: Amazing. Can't wait yeah. to dive into it more.
1: Yeah. And 21 books. That's not, not bad going. few of them are e books, you know, but uh, most of them are, are real full size, you know, hardcover yeah. books. Uh, I I heard a guy the other day said I've done 52 books and I called a friend of mine who knows him and I said this guy's written 52 books he goes well he took he took 50 articles and turned them into pdfs and called them ebooks so he's written two books and 50 articles that he calls (laughs) ebooks so there's a lot of smoke and mirrors in this world
0: of course there is of course there is the way I like to start all my shows though is before we get into what you do now, is to throw it back with my guests and focus around their childhood. So if you don't mind, we'll focus on a 14-year-old version of yourself. How were you as a 14-year-old? Terrible. So in, <laughs> in, school, in school, did you find school easy? Did you not fit in? We you find it really difficult? What were you like as a
1: 14-year-old? I was an athlete. I played football, baseball, and basketball. Started on my football team, basketball team, baseball team. Um, I was uh, involved in drugs and alcohol quite a bit. Um, I started in the fifth or sixth grade with drugs and alcohol. Um, I, was, uh, I made my money a couple of different ways. I bet the horses at Long Acres Horse Track. I scalped tickets outside of professional sporting events. And I was uh, what they call a ball boy for the Seattle Supersonics, the NBA basketball team. So I worked in the locker room, worked out on the court. Um, most of my life up until the time I was 17, 18 was really troubled youth. It, it was pretty bad. I got in trouble a lot. Um, you know, my 10th grade year, I, suppose I would have been 15. uh, I had 47 written referrals to the principal's office. So um, school, I did not do well in. I was, as Zig Ziglar would say, I was in the half of the class that made the top half possible. Um, There were 172 students in my high school graduating class. I was 149th. Um, So I, I was really, if you had to sum it all up, I was really lost actually. I was just lost. I didn't, my dad had died when I was four. I had a troubled upbringing. My mom shipped me off to live with relatives twice and and she had some mental health issues. So it was really pretty pretty uh, troubled youth.
0: So when did that all sort of change then? Because a lot of people that have that sort of upbringing never really pull themselves out of it, but you have. When did it all of a sudden click and you thought, right, I do need to pull myself out of this Right, I need to make something of myself.
1: Yeah, summer before my senior year of high school, I think it was all of a sudden just like, wow, um, I graduate in a year and now I got to go do my thing, right? Mm. And I had what everybody had. You know, we all have a desire to be successful. I think we all desire, you know, the definition might be different, but in my seminars, I'll I'll ask the question, how many of you would like to have a million dollars in your bank account? Everybody raises their hand. How many of you would like to uh, live a a long, healthy uh, life? Everybody's hand goes up. We all want to have long health. How many of you want your children to grow up to be productive members of society? Raise your hand. Everybody's hand goes up. Everybody wants the same thing. How many of you want to have great friends and a love of your life? Everybody's hand goes up. So what I realized is that everybody wants the same things. There might be a little bit of difference in terms of, you know, one guy wants 5 million, the other guy wants 100 million, you know. But um, but everybody wants financial independence and love and legacy and all those kinds of things. And, and I realized that I was going nowhere fast. And Fortunately, I ended up uh, meeting a guy who was from Montana. Uh, he became a youth worker around our high school, and, and uh, he really kicked me in the butt and said, you know, you've got too many talents and skills and gifts, and, and you better get your act together and, um, and figure this all out. And so that was really helpful to me because my dad had died when I was four. My grandpas were both gone. I really didn't know my uncles. My brother was 13 years older than me and he had married a woman who didn't like my mom. So I never saw him. So I had really virtually no male role models growing up. And then along came this sort of youth director who kicked me in the butt and said, you better go figure this out. And, uh, and that was what I needed really.
0: Did you know you were talented or did it take someone to tell you that you were
1: No, I I did. I knew I was talented. And I think, I think as a young kid, um, that was part of the trouble I had. I knew that I was smarter than most people. I knew that I was a better athlete than most people. I'm, you know, I knew all these things, but then I always had trouble. Um, I fought with my coaches all the time. I was starting quarterback on my football team, starting point guard on my basketball team, starting catcher on my baseball team. They had to play me because I was good but I fought with them so much that it was in a constant state of turmoil. And in hindsight, I look back and that was really me. I mean, it was, it was my undeveloped, you know, inner life as a young man who didn't know why things were happening to him the way they were happening to him. And, you know, it's one thing if you're 14 trying to figure out life, if you're 44 and still trying to figure out life, you know, you better get your act together pretty quick. But so, um, Uh, yeah, I I caused a lot of grief for teachers and uh, coaches and things, probably because I knew I was talented, but I didn't feel like I was getting the respect that I wanted for it.
0: Cool. So you've touched on obviously this youth worker being a mentor to you. And as I said before the show, I'm 22 episodes in and I haven't spoken at all about mentorship. I don't know how, but It couldn't have come around you being on the show at a better time because who is better to talk about having great mentors than yourself? For example, you've mentioned Zig Ziglar. He was one of your mentors and Jim Rohn, two speaking legends. How important do you think it is to have a mentor?
1: I think it's absolutely important, and I, and I think there's a lot of different ways. Like, you can have an official mentor where you say to somebody, will you be my mentor? And they're like, yes, let's get together once a month, and I'll teach you what I know. You know, it's sort of an official. And that can be either um, for pay, uh, where you pay somebody in a professional coaching uh, arrangement, or it can be just a, a local person who's, you know, 15 years further ahead of you in your profession and has been very successful at it. So it could be uh, you know, formalized or an informal relationship with a mentor. Um, but there's also just sort of people we know who we're in relationship with who make us better because they're further along than us. They know more than us. They care about us. They want to pass along the information to us. Um, you know, all those kinds of things. But I think, when I look at my life, if you were to extract out the people who helped me as a mentor, some of whom I paid for their mentorship and some of whom, uh, some of whom I just had the great fortune of being able to work with or be friends with, um, I, I've had a, if I were to take all those out, I, my life wouldn't be anywhere near what it is right now.
0: For sure. So let's dive in more about Zig Ziglar and Jim Rohn because two absolute legends. You go on the internet, you type in motivational business quote. It's just them two. It's Zig, then it's Jim, then it's Zig, then it's Jim. You can't, there's no one else. There's no one else. So how on earth did you get into contact with
1: these two? So interestingly enough, I got on the internet relatively early, and it's it's just funny to even say relatively early, and then quote the the year nineteen ninety five. Um, I was actually on the I was on the internet earlier than that actually, but you know back with AOL and you know all the dial up and all that kind of stuff. And then I started building a list. I was writing. I was doing a lot of writing on success, and I ended up uh, becoming friends with online. Became friends with the guy that owned Jim Rohn's business, Jim Rohn International, a guy named Kyle Wilson, and. Um, And so um, I was ghostwriting for John Maxwell at the time, um, the the leadership um, writer and speaker. I was writing his nationally syndicated column. And Kyle from Jim Rohn International called me up and said, hey, we'd love to have you come and do some writing with Jim. And I said, well, I don't want to ghostwrite anymore. I want my name to go on it, so I'll co-write. And they said, yeah, totally no problem at all. So the first thing I wrote from uh, October 2002 until September – Till September, 2003 was the Jim Rohn, um, one year plan, the Jim Rohn one year success program. So we wrote that, we wrote it over the course of a year. We wrote it week in, week out as we released it to people. And then that became the book 12 pillars. We wrote a, a condensed version of the kinds of books that I write, little story fictionalized stories, uh, to tell the story of the 12 pillars from the Jim Rohn one year program. Um, And so that's how I ended up working with him. The way I ended up working with Zig was, I had a television show of my own down in Dallas and the uh, network wanted Zig to do a show. I had been selling Zig Ziglar audio programs as well as hundreds of other people's audio programs. I used to own a company called Made for Success and we would sell 50 to 75,000 boxes a month through Costco and Sam's Club of personal professional development audio programs. And so I knew Zig because he was in all my boxes, and I wrote him my biggest royalty check every quarter was to Zig. So I knew Zig, and Zig didn't really want to do the show by himself because he was getting a little older, so they basically asked me to come in and co-host, and um, and that was just a, an amazing privilege. I, I always tell people when I walked into the studio that first time, I felt like a priest who'd been called to the Vatican to serve communion with the Pope. Like I walked in, and uh, at the time I was probably – 38 and uh zig's 40 years older than me so he was uh he was 78 getting up there and um and you know just a legend in our industry and i just remember walking in going wow i can't believe i'm doing a tv show and i already had my own tv show but Mm. it was just to be able to work with somebody who has that so much respect is it was really profound
0: what absolute as you say what an absolute privilege that must have been to even share the stage with somebody like that that people do look up to that have changed so many people's lives just through what they've spoken about but Mm. obviously you've got incredibly uh, well i'll say lucky you've also worked for it but that these people are authentic and they've built this brand for themselves and you know they are real i think with especially with coaching nowadays there are these people online that are just preaching that they are coaches like it's all it takes is for someone to put coach or life coach in their linkedin instagram bio you name it and they class themselves as this professional coach when really they know they don't know anything but they are
1: i was planning on being so happy and friendly and nice today and now you just went and ticked me off because it's it's so true It, it is so true it's like what's the first thing you do when you get fired from your corporate job you get a business card that says coach and put up a website. Now I'm going to coach everybody else on how to get fired from my corporate job. It, it's, it's actually crazy. The, the world is anybody. There is a guy right now who uh, is really big, who shall remain nameless. I should name him, but I, I won't because I just don't want to get into it with the guy. But he has become famous claiming that every week for 13 years – he was personally mentored on a one-hour phone call, one-on-one with Jim Rohn. Um, all of us who know Jim Rohn, every part of the story makes no sense. Like there's literally, no, all of us who know him are like, there's no way that would happen. He's like, yeah, I sat down next to him at a, at a convention and he started asking me all these questions and then gave me his cell phone number and told me to call him. Nobody who knows Jim believes that for a second, right? Right. But this guy is huge right now. Like, he's really big. And uh, everywhere, you see him online, and his whole story is, is mentored by Jim Rohn. And um, the guy who used to keep Jim Rohn's calendar actually got on the phone with him once. Somebody hooked him up and got him to get on the phone together. And he's like, that's so weird. I, I ran Jim's calendar for 20 years. Like, nothing got on the calendar. And I'm sure I would have recognized your name, uh, <laughs> especially if you did this for 13 years. And the guy literally hung up. He, he didn't even care on the, he just hung up that's how easy it is and and then in a way i'm like that's brilliant actually because jim's dead like he can't argue jim can't come back and say i never i don't even know who this guy is i didn't talk to him on the phone every Every week for 13 years. Have you talked to anybody every week for 13 years other than maybe your parents or your siblings? I was about to say my
0: parents yeah, maybe, it, but no. It's
1: just it just demonstrates. But the sad thing is, is you know, the old uh, you can fool all the people some of the time, some of the people all the time. And he's just got tons of people fooled. And because people just go, Oh wow, that's amazing. And all of us who know Jim and how he operated and what he did and all that, we just kind of went, mm, that's bizarre. We've never even heard of this guy. Um, and Jim doesn't hand out his cell phone numbers, <laughs> you know, just all that kind of stuff, but you're right. Anybody can throw their name up and, and, uh, it's, it's kind of sad because I think a lot of people end up getting some bad advice.
0: Praise to you as well for not calling his name out there as well. Cause yeah. Could...
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I want to <laughs> so much. I want to, cause I have this sense of justice inside of me that just like, ugh. but, uh, no, you know, and, and, but there is a lot of smoke and mirrors in this industry. A lot of people, you know, doing, doing things and saying things that they shouldn't do or say.
0: So what does authenticity and integrity mean to you and your business then? Because these people, especially with these fake people that may not even be able to pro- provide them any value whatsoever are paying upwards of 10, 20, $30,000, some amounts of money that some people can't even imagine mm. a year, these sorts of coaching. So how, what does
1: integrity and authenticity mean to you and your business? So I think authenticity means just um, truthfulness, like what you see is what you get, right? There's no hidden, uh, there's no hidden agenda. There's no, people who know me will always tell you, you will always know exactly how Chris feels. Uh, you won't have to ask, are you angry? Because you'll know if I'm angry or if I'm sad or if I'm happy or whatever. I, I live it all out there. Uh, it's It's out there for everybody to see. Um, if I have succeeded, I'll tell you that. If I've failed, I'll tell you that. It's just transparency and authenticity. Integrity is, is, the, integrity is the first point of every speech I give. Um, it's the first point in my book, The Art of Influence. It's central, it's foundational. And integrity is an interesting word because it shares the same root word as the word integer, which uh, the math term, which is a whole number. So to me, integrity means living a whole life or an undivided life it means that you don't have you don't tell the truth sometimes not tell the truth other times Uh, it means you don't treat some people one way and treat other people another way Um, integrity it's operating out of a single set of morals ethics and values is what integrity is and so again what you see is what you get Um, what you say is what you mean Uh, those kinds of things that's important um, it means telling the truth and not embellishing your stories. Um, it, you know, people will say to me, oh, wow, you were mentored. You must have spent uh, so much time with Jim Rohn. And I know people that literally are very famous speakers who will say, oh, I was mentored by Jim Rohn. And then when you dig down, what you realize is is that they listen to it. He, he, you know, these people listen to his audio programs 20 or 30 times. So I guess that in a way that's mentoring, right? But they're implying something They They want you to believe something to be true that isn't really true. And, um, and so for me, I, I'll just tell people, I mean, yeah, I spent time with him and we wrote together and I did some events with him, but it's not like we were going on vacation together or anything for me. It's about establishing the reality not establishing a premise that people perceive to be something else. And so much of, you know, this is where the term smoke and mirrors comes from, right? You know, you go into a fun house, uh, you go into a haunted house or a fun house and you go to those mirrors, right? You stand in front of those mirrors and and they're curved mirrors. And one of them, you look super skinny. And the other one, you look super fat. One of them, you look super tall. And the other looks super short. You're the same, but through that mirror, you're showing somebody something else. And that's what happens a lot on the internet in in regard to the world I'm in, the self-help world, is there's a lot of people that you're looking at them, but you're looking at them in a mirror. You're not looking at the real them. You're looking at the reflection in a mirror that they want you to see. So they choose the mirror and they reflect themselves in it. And then people look at them and go, oh, wow, you're so amazing. Here's my money. And then you realize, oh, wait, that was you in the mirror, not the real you so to me that's what authenticity and transparency and integrity is is people know the real you
0: awesome and i love that you've brought transparency into it as well because that is the main reason i do this podcast i've mentioned that all today on social media i think social media is glamorizing entrepreneurship we All we see is are the successes. We see the we see the fast cars, the mansions, the luxury holidays. We don't see the sixteen-hour work days, the sacrifice of families, the mental health issues experienced through the bankruptcies,
1: the the, the failure in general, (laughs) the total failure, right? Yeah, Yeah, just complete and total bomb.
0: So this is what I love talking about with my guests. I like so, and with you, I'd like to hit it from two angles. So I'd like you to tell us two stories. One about a failure of getting actually off the ground, getting a business started that you learn from. And one sort of failure once you had established your business, but you then had a failure whilst being established. It's, it's, it, once you hit success, success doesn't keep coming. Failures keep will come forever and ever and ever, but people just don't see this and people don't share this. And this is why I like bringing people on the show to give a couple of stories about times they have actually failed.
1: Yeah, I started a company called 12 Coaches, probably 10 years ago, something like that. And, uh, I went after 11 other coaches like myself. We created a program called 12 coaches and it was going to be four training videos a month. Um, and it was going to be 47 bucks a month. So you were getting 50 videos for $47 a month, 48 for 57, 48 videos for $47 a month. And, uh, I mean, these were top-notch people that I had. I mean, top-notch speakers. And I kid you not, I don't think we sold 10 subscriptions. It was just, it was a, I spent 20 grand just on the website. And then, you know, it was just an utter disaster. And we just pulled the plug and like, it was was in that shift where people were going where they didn't feel like they needed to pay for anything because everything on the internet was free. And it was before you had sort of these membership sites and things like that. So it was probably just a little bit in advance too, too, uh, too soon is probably what it really was. Um, but that, that's a, it was just a disaster. It was like, none of us could figure out what it was. Um, so that would be one that I, I couldn't even get off the ground. Um, business failures. I don't, I, I haven't really had a business failure. um,
0: or something that you should have done differently then.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of the angle I was going. Is is you can take your eye off the ball and you can get um, you can get sidetracked or diminished. So when I was working with Jim Rohn International, Success Magazine bought Jim Rohn International and Chris Widener International, and they bought Success Magazine. So the parent company bought Success Magazine, and then they bought uh, Chris Widener International along with Jim Rohn International and success was not doing very well at the time. They bought it out of bankruptcy, and Darren Hardy was made the publisher, and um, I'd been doing about 70 speaking engagements a year, and what I realized, it took me a while to realize that when they pulled us all under one roof, every time the phone rang, they gave it to Darren, because Darren was the publisher of what was losing money, and we were making a bunch of money. So their immediate thing was, we have to give, we have to get Darren out on the road so he can be speaking a lot so we can sell the magazine. Makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. But what I realized was, was that they were not, even though they should have, like my previous management company was doing, they were not giving me um the uh, the attention and the promotion that I needed to. And so I, I dropped steadily in how many speaking engagements I was doing until I figured this all out. Because I was completely in the blind. I didn't know what was going on. I just know that the phone stopped ringing. Um, and so I ended up uh, getting out of that contract and moving on uh, and going and doing it all myself. Um, but it was sort of expecting somebody else to do it for you it was great when they were, but when they stopped and then all of a sudden it's like, Oh man, I took my eye off the ball. I'm, res- I'm responsible for this, not somebody else. And so, uh, you know, my, my business went down for a while before it went back up again.
0: Wow. And that's what I think I love talking about this. Cause this is what people don't realize that these people that, we look up to and consider successful they failed hundreds of times to get to where they are they just we just don't see that we just see the final product we see the nice things that they have now or what we perceive to be nice things Mm -hmm. we don't see as you say we everything in in the build up to that like it's it's hard people just need to realize and i like throwing that reality back at people so they can make a conscious decision of If it's really for them, because it's not going to be easy. Some people, especially with, especially it brings it back to coaching as well. They think they're going to pay this person $5,000 pounds. And then in a month's time, they're going to be making money like
1: that. Yeah. No, and these are the people. My coaching clients, I, I tell them, look, I mean, and I've got some great endorsements. Uh, you know, if somebody wants to go to widenercoaching.com, they can see how I, I tell them how it works to work with them. They see endorsements of people who say, you know, they're making 50% more money and they wrote their first book and they, you know, all these things that I tell them and work with them to do. But the reality is, is they won't do it unless they choose to do it. Hiring me is not going to hiring me is not going to make it work for you. Um, hiring me to coach you is going to cut your learning curve down. It's going to make it go quicker. It's going to make it go with not as many mistakes. Um, that's what you're hiring a coach for, not to do it for you. Um, I, I had one client, and he did not like where he was in life. So I said, "Well, okay, then it looks to me like you have to do this." No, nah, I can't do that. Oh, okay, well then you could do this. No, I, I can't do that. Okay, well what about this? This would be the third alternative that you could. You could do that would get you out of your situation. Oh, I can't do that. And I said, "Well, it looks to me like you're stuck. Then <laughs> it, you're going to have to do something." I, I mean, I, you know. He, he but he, I think a lot of people pay people with hope. They hope that this is going to be the magic bullet. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. It, it. I just heard about it. It's called Con- Contrapreneur. Have you heard of the video called Contrapreneur?
0: I haven't, but I will watch it. it
1: it's, oh, you've got to watch it. It's it's actually interesting. It's a guy who is, I don't know, he looks like he's 35 maybe, uh, from London, by the way. And he sold his company for $11 million. And that's how he starts the video. He's like, hey, I'm Joe Schmo, whatever my name is. Uh, and I, in such and such a year, I sold my company for $11 million. And now all I see online is, you know, buy my product, buy my course, buy my, come to this convention, blah, 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 and I'll make you rich. And so he decided, he said, I already am rich. I already know how to do this. I'm going to go see what all these gurus are saying. And so the whole video, it's like 25 minutes, is him going undercover and looking at how these these so-called gurus extract your money from you. So he, he lays out the entire process of like right on down to even the copywriting um, tools that they use to psychologically trigger you. You know, the, would you like to make more money? You always ask a question that ends with yes, right? Would you like to be happier? Yes, I would like to be happier. Would you like to make more? I would like to make more money. And then it switches in. There's literally a formula for this, Ethan. I don't know if you knew this or not. But then it starts. Then it. Then you get them to answer yes. Then you go into because I've studied copywriting. I've done my own copyright. Then you go into. I used to be just like you. I started out a poor kid and blah blah blah. But then I found a secret. And it's always this. This is a formula, and this is what they do. Whether it's websites you're watching, uh, commercials you're watching, or reading, uh, or you go to these seminars, you know. Um, uh, and I've I've been to we call them in the industry we call them pitch fests. These are these are uh, seminars where all people are doing is pitching you multi thousand dollar up to fifty thousand dollar deals, and the formula is exactly the same for all of them. But it's called Contrapreneur, and, and it's about the con that goes on. It's actually really interesting.
0: I think it's funny you've touched on that as well because a lot of the time, especially with these kids on Instagram selling courses, is the money and things that they they've bought and they're flaunting to people are just through the money they've made from selling these courses, not by what they're actually teaching. And this oh, the, the fact that it doesn't click with people blows my mind. I just
1: think, well, oh my. it does click deep down. They know it's not true. <laughs> they deep want down, it deep down. They know it's BS, yeah. but their, their own dissatisfaction with their own life and their absolute desire to have more and be more Causes them to suspend reality for a moment, because maybe this one time it's true, and um, you, you know. And I had a guy call me up and pitch me on a deal the other day, basically where a guy was going to give me fifty if I would join this network marketing program. His mentor, who was this super rich, you know, multimillionaire, would give me fifty thousand dollars in this business. It's, it was a cryptocurrency thing. And I'm like, so you're telling me that if I sign up and he hands me the 50 grand, I could leave and never do another thing with it. That's what I'm telling you. And I said, I said, you know, this would sound better if you told me you were a Nigerian prince. Like if, <laughs> if I thought you were from Nigeria and you know, you were trying to offload your great grandpa's will, I'd be a little more interested in this. This is just, it but I guarantee you He probably made 50 phone calls that day, and he probably got 10 people to do it. Bless him. And and that's just sad to me. Yeah.
0: So, Chris, you're a member of the Motivational Speakers Hall of Fame. You're one of Inc. Magazine's top 100 leadership speakers. You've been named one of the top 50 speakers in the world. Where did this all start? What was your first speaking engagement?
1: Wow. Well, you know, in, in high school... First paid Uh, speech. Yeah, yeah. In high school, well, in high school, I was always speaking and talking. Do you remember in high school? I don't know how they do it in Europe, but um, in our first room, first homeroom class, it's called homeroom, you go in and then you all get settled in for school that day. And then somebody comes on the overhead, the speaker, and they say the Pledge of Allegiance and they tell you what's for lunch in the lunchroom that day. And they, you know. They tell you what time the games start and what time the buses leave. It's the announcements for the day. I did those in high school. That was what I did. In college, I announced the college basketball games in-house. So I was the guy in the arena doing the announcing. So um, when I was 16 years old, I read a book called Put Your Money Where Your Mouth Is, How to Make a Living as a Public Speaker. And so I kind of always knew I was going to do it out of high school. I gave, or out of college, I started speaking to high school, summer camps, things like that. I think the first paid speaking engagement I got was to a group of 400 high schoolers. And, um, and it was called the speech I gave. I, I'd asked, been asked to come to this conference. And I told him, I said, the reason that these kids don't come to these these um, breakout sessions is because they sound so boring. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, for example, self-esteem. What teenager's go, hey, let's go to this seminar on self-esteem. Let's go check that out. I'm really interested in my self-esteem. So I said, I'll do it on self-esteem, but you gotta title it what I want you to title it. And they said, okay, what's that? And I said, I want you to title the speech, how to feel good about yourself, even with a giant zit in the middle of your forehead. And they're like that's what you want to name your speech i said that's exactly what i want to name my speech so there were 400 kids at this retreat it was a high schoolers retreat and there were four breakout sessions and 393 of the 400 came to my breakout session and i think it was because it was called how to feel good about yourself even though you have a zit in the middle of your forehead The ultimate irony of this entire thing is, is I rarely, if ever, get zits. I mean, in the last 30 years, I've had five zits in my entire life probably. That day, speaking to a crowd of high schoolers on the topic of how to feel good about yourself with a giant zit in the middle of your forehead, I had a giant third eyeball right in the middle of my forehead. I was like 22 years old. And I was l- literally giving a speech to 400 high schoolers called How to Feel Good About Yourself with a Giant Sit in the Middle of Forehead with a Giant Sit in the Middle of My Forehead. Of my forehead. So, um, so that was my, I think that was truly my first ever paid speaking engagement.
0: That is hilarious. Yeah. And then <laughs> it's so ironic, but I bet that even made the speaking engagement even more relatable for them because they could see that <laughs> they probably thought this guy's not going to have his own. But then you did. They probably didn't yeah. think you made that speech in advance. But...
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Just yeah. It seconds. was, it
1: was. It turned out good. And so the bulk of my speaking early on was to high schoolers and summer camps yeah. and things like that.
0: When did it get serious then? Stages. Uh,
1: well, I was serious about it right away. Um, yeah. You know, I was, I was totally serious about it. I just, um, uh, I moved more into adult speaking. Ninety six. I started speaking eighty eight. I started speaking more into adult speaking like ninety four, ninety five, ninety six, and then pretty much full time ninety seven, ninety eight. Um, to to adults, I I was doing time management seminars and leadership seminars and things like that.
0: I think it's such an incredible thing to do as well because you get to travel the world, talking to some incredible people, meeting so many people. And just talking about what you love doing i mean yeah. i couldn't think of anything better
1: <laughs> yeah i mean you know there's pros and cons to it you're in an airplane a lot i mean i know a lot of people that have done way more speaking than i have uh, i have a business partner um called his name's larry wingett and there were times larry was on the road 200 plus days a year and um you know it's one of the things that made him one of the most successful speakers of the last 30 years um, you know, he's probably top 10 in terms of money earned as a speaker the last 30 years. Um, but he was on the road all the time. It was just never anything I want to do. And now he's like, oh, I don't ever want to get on another airplane. <laughs> you know? He's toward, toward the end of his, uh, you know, speaking career. He's 66, 67, I think now 67 now. Um, but yeah, so the airplanes and the hotels can get old. Um, you know, if you, if you don't do it a lot, then yeah, it's fun. Oh, it's fun! I get to go stay in a hotel room. When it's your eighth one that month, different one, then you're kind of like, "I don't really like this. I'm going to go home."
0: Yeah, I suppose. Do you still enjoy every single one you go to then? Or yeah, I do. Movies?
1: I love them, and I do. I love them. I I don't take advantage of enough. I actually have an entire list of golf courses I've spoken at that I should have played but didn't. Pebble Beach. <laughs> the list Mm -hmm. i gave a speech i gave a speech in a beautiful ballroom kind of like overlooking the golf course and uh didn't play pebble beach didn't play sawgrass didn't play whistling straits um i I've, i've i've spoken all over um i did an i did a trip once to singapore from seattle to singapore and back in 72 hours I left my home in Seattle, flew to Singapore, gave a speech, spent the night, flew back at 72 hours. I should have stayed a few days in Singapore, but I didn't. I was, you know, my kids were young and I wanted to be a good dad. And so I tried to get home.
0: Awesome. And I think that's, it's nice that you say that as well, because I've got a question at the end that I'm going to ask you about to do with relationships with family, but... Let's dive into those nouns, actually. So you've obviously dropped an incredible value throughout this episode so far, but there are three questions that I round off every single episode with, with okay. my guests, and they're, they're based on money, relationships, and death. And okay. these are three topics that I just don't think are spoken about enough. So the first question, some people may think it directly relates to money. I personally don't, but some people that look up at successful people may. So
1: what does the word success mean to you? That's a good question, and I always say um, the default answer for success is money. That's default. Hmm. If I say to you, "Oh, I know this really successful guy," and then I asked you to describe him, you'd probably say, "Well, he drives a fancy car, got a big yeah. business, wears a suit and tie, big home in the suburbs." You know, that's we default to that definition of of financial success. But I always tell people, true success is not the overachievement in one area, but the balanced achievement in all areas. And so true success, um, means having that well-rounded life. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that have money that are miserable. They're not happy, you know, they're just Mm. not. And you know, all that money does is it enhances your good or your bad traits. If you're a good person, you'll do good things with money. If you're a bad person, you'll do bad things with money. have you seen this video of this guy? I can't remember his name. I want to say Tom Belou, B-I-L-E-O-Y or something like that. Hmm. But he, he does this video online. He, he's a guy who sold his company for hundreds of millions of dollars. And he, he, I think he did a TED Talk is, is what I think I saw. And he says, you know, I was sitting there. I, the, the sale had gone through. I'm looking at my bank account. And he's basically, I think he said he had like $20 in his bank account. And he said, I hit refresh, hit refresh. He was on his bank bank account website. Hit refresh, hit refresh, hit refresh, hit refresh, hit refresh. He was waiting for the transfer to come in. And all of a sudden, bam, and it was hundreds of millions of dollars. And then he says, and then you know what I realized? Nothing changed. I'm exactly the same person I was five minutes ago when I was broke. And that is such a powerful lesson for people who don't have money. I see Hmm. people all the time and all you have to do is get on Instagram and I've had a lot of money. I've lost a lot of money. I've made a lot of money. I've made millions, lost millions. You know, I've had ups and downs. I know what it's like to have a lot. I know what it's like to have a little. And the fact is, is that, I mean, yeah, it's nice to know you can pay your mortgage every month. Um, But there are people who struggle with their mortgage who are infinitely more happy than some of the people who could, who own three homes, right? Um, But people who don't have money, they just give me a chance. Just give me a chance with the money. Let's see if I can be happy with the money. Um, But the reality is, is that you're either happy or not happy, whether you have money or you don't.
0: Yeah. And that is to a T exactly the same way. I think as well, I think we should start looking at that word successes in more people that are successful in maintaining relationships and people that are maintaining happiness, successful in happiness and other th- other aspects aside to financial success and it sort of segues quite nicely into my next question on relationships so it's throughout your journey so far have you found it difficult to maintain relationships whether that be with friends family loved one significant other or have you found ways that you can bring people along on your journey with you
1: i'm pretty relational um i have a lot of really good friends Um, people that I've been friends with for a very long time, um, 20 years, my, my closest friends are 20, 25, 30 years. Um, I have new friends that, you know, just even the last few years, but, um, I invest a lot in my friends. I, I want, uh, I think that friends, friendship is one of the most important things in life. Um, I, I went through a divorce. I was married for 27 years and, um, you know, um, that was a hard obviously hard, difficult time, um, you, you find yourself questioning yourself and, and feeling embarrassment and feeling shame. And, you know, going through a divorce, I was just glad I wasn't a relationship expert. Like, I'm glad I didn't have a bunch of, you know, marriage books or whatever. Although the, 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 the one of the funniest things is, um, two of the biggest relationship experts in the world, including John Gray, who wrote the book men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Uh he and a woman named Barbara DeAngelis, who's also a big relationship expert. The irony is, is those two used to be married. Um <laughs> then they got divorced and they both wrote best-selling books on on men and women and marriage and relationships. So I was just glad I wasn't a marriage expert when I got divorced. Um but um uh, I was divorced for a number of years, not not a too long, um, and then you know I I wanted I want to be in a relationship. I want to have somebody that's my partner and and uh, that I can live life with and love and enjoy and, and cherish all those kinds of things. And I met a beautiful woman uh, her name's Denise uh, down here in Scottsdale, and we dated for a couple of years, and then we just got married this last summer in Florence. Congratulations. Yeah. Florence, Italy. So um, we, I'm a newlywed now at the time of the recording here. Um, And so it's, it's exciting. It's fun. It's exciting to be with somebody who I enjoy and love and, and uh, have a partnership with. And um, it's very, very important. At the end of your life, the money all goes to somebody else. I mean, when you die, I don't care how much money you have, it all goes to somebody else. It all goes it just disappears the only thing you have left on your deathbed is your memories and your relationships and the money is just about to disappear to so right so I mean, if you're yeah. on your deathbed if you're on your deathbed and you know that today's the day you're going to die you ought to just say to yourself wow i'm worth 100 million dollars right now and in 30 minutes i'm going to be broke What if if somebody actually thought that, like they're going to die, they're on their last breath and they think in 30 minutes, I'm going to be bankrupt, broke and no money. What good is that going to do for me? But they can look into the smiling faces of their wife and kids and and remember the fond trips to the lake or Europe or, you know, whatever. Those are the things that really have value at, at end of life.
0: You you mentioned having kids. With your consistent traveling and frequent traveling, did you find it hard spending time away from your kids that often? Did they want more quality time with you or do you still think you did enough?
1: I did a pretty good job. I I went out and back. Uh, If I spoke on Friday morning... I left Thursday night at five PM. I got in at nine or ten. Went to the hotel. I gave the speech the next morning and went straight back to the airport. and And I was home by Friday afternoon. So I was usually gone less than twenty four hours.
0: I think, and that's great. And obviously, your kids are going to appreciate that as well. Yeah, and because you know, exactly, you only get childhood once with your kids, so yeah, make the most of it. And I love that you've touched on dying as well because it's one question that I also ask at the end. I uh, ask questions relation to death because people just don't talk about it you never hear people it's like something we're afraid to talk about so my question is are you afraid of dying are you scared
1: uh you know to be honest sometimes i do get a little bit scared like what what goes on and what i'm really scared of is the process not interested in yeah i'm not not excited about the process of dying uh i think once you die you're just you know you're, you're dead, right? So you, you uh, you're not sitting around going, oh wow, well, I'm dead. I'm laying in this. You know you're you're in the afterlife at that point. Um, but uh, um, you know, just the other day we were talking about how you wouldn't want to die. I would not want to drown. I think that would be panicking. Uh, I wouldn't want to burn that would just be really painful i've heard that dying in the cold is the best way because you just kind of get shivery and then everything goes numb and then you fall asleep so i've heard that dying by freezing to death is actually one of the, the easiest ways to die but um no but but you're right and and i just wrote this in my book yesterday as i'm writing my next book i wrote a whole thing about how death motivates us um because we only get a short period of time And Jim Rohn and I wrote in the book, 12 Pillars, you can't determine how long you live, but you can determine how well you live. So whether you get sick of cancer today or get hit by a bus tomorrow, that's left to higher hours than us, right? But we can choose if we're going to be kind to people today and work hard and be ambitious and all the things that will move our lives forward. We can choose how well we live, even though we can't choose how long we live.
0: Can you imagine how much of a nicer place the world would be if people were just 5%, 10% kinder to everyone? That's why I think and it, it's literally, it doesn't take any extra effort whatsoever. Being kind to someone is not difficult, but some people just struggle. Some people just don't find it easy. But just imagine if it was everyone was 10% kinder to everyone. How much of a nicer place this world would
1: be? And 10% more relaxed. People yeah. are just too uptight now. And, and I, I hate to tell you this, Ethan. Well, you're, you're in uh, London, but you've got your own political stuff going on. And I don't know how it is over there. But man, over here, uh, we're, we're about to spend the next 14 months on a presidential election where half the country hates one of the people and the other half of the country hates the other person. And I'm not talking dislikes. I'm not talking is uncomfortable with. I'm talking absolutely, totally hates the other side. And it's just, I'm sort of all, I I like politics. I think it's interesting. I find it interesting. Um, But I'm almost dreading the next 14 months of just all the people that are just going to be warring over politics. And I'm like, just lighten up, love people, enjoy your life, vote for who you want to vote for.
0: It's funny you mentioned this. Because we've got this wonderful thing called Brexit. Brexit, that just yeah. never seems to end. And God knows when it's going to end either. So let's not talk about yeah. that.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so that rounds up all my questions I have for to you today. And it's been an absolute pleasure. But please, where can our listeners find your work? What can they do? Where can they contact you if they want to catch up?
1: Where, sure, absolutely. where are you Yeah, if they're interested in coaching, they can uh, reach out to me at WidenerCoaching.com. There's actually a way to get a free 15-minute consultation. Um, There's some pricing on there for the different programs, and there's a video that explains how it all works and that kind of stuff. You can also follow me on Instagram. It's Chris Widener Speaker. You can follow me on uh, uh, Facebook, Chris Widener Speaker. I'm on LinkedIn. You can just search for Chris Weidner. Um, but I- any place, um, you can go to Amazon and type in my name. And I think I've got 50 different SKUs, books, audio programs, everything on there, plenty of stuff to find there.
0: What book does everyone need to read first?
1: Uh, of mine? Of yours? Of mine, they should read a book called The Angel Inside. And the subtitle is Michelangelo's Secrets for Following Your Passion and Finding the Work You Love. It's about a 28-year-old guy who goes to Europe to find himself. He's been in been in the business world for about six years, doesn't really like it, um, and is sort of lost. And the entire book is a half day in Florence, Italy, where this young man on the last half day of his vacation bumps into a little old Italian man who takes him on a tour of the city of Florence and teaches him life lessons from the life of Michelangelo and the creation of of sculpture and art. And um, that book was number two on the wall street journal, number seven on the New York times, number three on Amazon. And I mean, all of Amazon. Wow. Seven categories down. Um, It was actually, uh, it was number three on Amazon. It was behind the pre-release of Harry Potter and the lost book of J.R.R. Tolkien that his grandson found in his attic after his grandpa died. So I figure if I'm going to be number three overall on Amazon for a week, Uh, I'll let it be to the greatest fiction series ever written and one of the greatest fiction writers of all time Uh, i'll take number three. I felt like number one coming in number three to those two. So
0: Of course like two absolute iconic Novels, I I must say I haven't read that book yet, but i'm definitely going to
1: it's short. It's easy It's it's the one book. I love of mine. I love that book. I like all my books. I love that book
0: Awesome. There we go i'm sure as soon as i get it i won't put it down because that is me with a book but chris thank you very much for joining me on this episode of ceo journals and everyone i release episodes every wednesday so i'll be back with another episode next wednesday but once again chris thank you for joining me on this episode of ceo journals thanks for having me So that's going to wrap up today's episode of the podcast and I can't thank you all enough for listening. I aim to interview some of the most incredible business owners and entrepreneurs every single week so you can really help me out by smashing that subscribe button and by leaving me a five-star review over in the iTunes store. It literally takes two seconds and will help me secure some of the greatest names in business as guests on the show. Make sure you tune into the next episode where I'm going to be talking to another incredibly interesting guest. I'll be discussing their journey and providing tips to all your aspiring and current business owners. Have a lovely rest of your day, and once again, thank you for tuning
1: in to CEO Journals.